Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what might be the last episode of this season. My God, don't say it, Tim. I I didn't carry that energy into the film, and even now I can't have my emotions toyed with in such a cavalier way. But is it true? We've just watched Carry On Emmanuel because we failed to be able to see the only Japan-released sex chocolate in Emmanuel, which is a Willy Wonka um, Yeah. What is Thing. in that movie that means we can't see it? I don't know. And also, it, what what are the chances that this Willy Wonka prequel starring Timothy Chalamet also has heavy sexual overtones, undertones? Look, who cares? We're not here to talk about... We're definitely not here to Chalamet talk about that version it. of it. And <laughs> we're not even here to talk about uh, Sex Chocolate and Emmanuel. We're here to talk about Carry On Emmanuel. We're we here are, to talk Tim. about a porno... I don't know when this one was made, actually. When was this made, Guy? Have you got the year for this? No, but I can get it. We're talking about a porno parody. I'm going to guess like 78, just this, pulling a number out of the sky. This was the second to last carry-on film ever made. Um, it is, I believe we've previously, I haven't done a lot of research today, but we've previously been told that this film we have just seen may be responsible in large part for the death of a giant the carry-on franchise of yes. um, British comedy films. The carry-on franchise was an iconic sort of um, parody, I guess, I don't know, parody monolith. It's uh, it, uh, it almost it like was, Panto. Yeah. Everything's very big, um, a lot of slapstick, very Benny Hill style, if you're familiar with that, sort of big boobs and butts and everything's very childish. Um, slapstick and they weren't afraid to send up anything if you were a historical event if you were an institution if you were a popular movie you know it was almost uh, like a Simpsons cameo in the 90s early 2000s it was a mark of respect that you deserved the carry on treatment and so in many ways uh, this is 
This is flattering for the Emmanuel franchise. And in many ways, Tim, as I started watching this movie, I thought, who was this movie made for? Was it made exactly for us right here, right <laughs> now? I feel like we are, you know, right in the crosshairs of the people who could possibly find enjoyment in this movie. And you that is what makes say it. That. You say that for so many movies we have to watch for this podcast, the worst idea of all time. You say, who was this movie made for? Us? Yes. <laughs> Well, I believe it to be true. Like a lot of these movies would be resigned to the scrap bin of history and we shine our tiny little worst idea light on them and they get just one last, you know, shake of the tail. The thing about it is though, because you're not wrong, I do say that a lot and I I did believe at the start of the movie that maybe this movie was made for us. A porno parody, parodying the porno that we've spent a year with, that does feel custom built for us. And it is what made it... So disappointing that this is arguably the worst movie I've seen in my entire life. <laughs> wow. Didn't even make me angry. Just wow. made me so tired and so bored. I felt like there was nothing to latch on to. That is shocking for me to hear because this feels like a movie. And by the way, if you want to play along at home, this thing's on YouTube. We just watched a YouTube link. The movie in its entirety, someone's just uploaded. No one can be bothered copyright striking it. So there it is for all and sundry to enjoy. This feels like it would have been a bit of you. Gun to my head, I would have been like, I reckon Monty would have been into this. You, well, that's obviously in context. Outside of the podcast, you wouldn't assume I'd be into this, would you? Well, just... I think that you would be able to derive an ironic enjoyment of watching the film, but it sounds like at no level did you get any pleasure out of this view. I was experience. just like so frustrated. I, I, you didn't I, come even, by the sounds of it? No coming, no laughing. No laughing. Uh, you know, that's a bad day in my books. <laughs> Man, I went to, all, that's why I don't like Christopher Nolan. I went to all three of those Dark Knight yeah. movies, didn't come or laugh once. Yeah, I found them hysterical, but I'm a bit of a joker myself. I live to laugh, and I like to upend the institutions and the sort of the way in which society conducts itself. Then why weren't you into this Carry On film, a franchise which prides itself on upending these societal institutions? Uh, one, Emmanuel is barely an institution worth upending, and two... They didn't even upend the Emmanuel franchise. They just created, like, they just cast a, a beautiful British woman as their Emmanuel proxy, and then she went around seducing or, like, sort of, uh, I don't know, like, making eyes at and then seducing all these It was just... It's an it incredibly interesting film. I enjoyed it just because of... Interesting. Yeah, totally. I could not disagree with you more. Well, not as a movie, but as a cultural relic and what it says about the British society of the day. This kind of... I know it's like a little bit after, but sort of post-war England. It's this, this hotbed of sexual repression and prudish approach to sexuality. And like, there's one guy who's... A full-on incel. We'll get to him later, though. Whatevs. The thing I want to celebrate about this movie, and undeniably was my shining light, so I'm going to get there early because the movie sure did, is a celebration of the Concorde aircraft. We open on the Concorde. The Concorde, uh, for those who are possibly a little bit too young to remember, is a now-retired jet, which I think was the first um, supersonic passenger jet ever, 
Uh, Wikipedia is now telling me it operated between 1976 and was retired in 2003. It had a maximum speed of Mark II, twice the speed of sound, and it would um it would it would fly from like Paris to New York. New York, I think, was its like main leg, and this was like the peak of that real like fancy. First class, premium, luxury yeah. feeling air travel. Just, where everything was just you would wear a tuxedo to go and take a flight. It is a, a very cool, very of its time premise. And a play, it, the this, the flight time from New York to London, Tim, was two hours, fifty two minutes, and fifty nine seconds. That was the fastest flight the Concorde recorded between London and New York, and that is undeniably cool. Yeah. What's a normal? So, what is it? London to I think um, eight or nine hours is the normal flight time. Uh, yes, you're dead right. So it's yep. three times faster. That would be great for New Zealand. Imagine if we had some Concords. Boy, could we yeah. do with them? Well, did what? Did the Concorde get retired because it was <laughs> dangerous? Um, I don't know if it would. It didn't. I don't think it crashed or anything. I don't think it had any. Did it? It was just uber expensive. And the, it, I also I remember watching a documentary years ago. Um, they mentioned that the Concorde, because of how fast it was going, would kind of fuck up the. It would create so much flux in the air where other planes were traveling that it, it could create quite a dangerous environment if it kept going. And had that's more not their parts. problem, though. They're the Concorde. <laughs> yeah. Eat my dust. I'm Concorde. Um, the round trip ticket for that New York to London flight would cost, in today's money, thirteen thousand US dollars. Wow, which is quite a lot. You're paying, yeah, I guess in that you're paying. I don't know what a ticket between New York and London would be today, but I guess uh, you're, it's, you're, th- it's one thirtieth that price. Yeah, so that's a, a very expensive six hours you're buying, but you're also buying an anecdote. Oh, that's what you're paying for, really. You know, I mean. Anyone can take a eight and three quarter hour flight. You just do it at nighttime. Have a little nap. You wake up. Yeah. You're in New York City, baby. The Big Apple. I've made it, and it's kind of nice. You sleep through the night. You wake up in the most exciting city on earth. Concord kind of confuses you because you've travelled through quite like dramatic time zones. You get there, jet lag to fuck, but the whole trip was less than three hours. What the hell? That doesn't feel right. No, it's very disorienting. But you love the reference to the Concord. Um, and I'd, I'd like to say I did too, like when they were on the plane and they had that great intro song playing and we were like in really familiar Emmanuel territory, I had shades of Sylvia Cristel and George Lazenby sitting thigh to thigh. Yeah. Um, and there were like gags and clearly defined characters. I, that's when I wrote down, was this movie made for us in this exact moment? Um, and all the way up to like, there was a great gag where, cause the, the nose of the Concord I believe could could go up. So the very tip, the front of the Concorde plane was um retractable in some way. And in this uh in one of the scenes, Emmanuel seduces some dweeby incel guy in a in the little toilet and they join the Mile High Miss, Club and Mr. Valentine? Mr. Valentine's. Uh one of those two. Theodore Valentine, yeah. And um as he is given an erection we cut to a, a sort of external shot of this Concorde stand-in, and there's like a Monty Python-style almost visual gag of the very tip of the plane going up to represent his uh, his erection. 
And um, I liked that. I liked everything about the movie up until that point. <laughs> um, I am just reading now that there was, yeah, a Concord did crash in 2000 and over 100 people died. So that might have um, that it doesn't help. contributed. But Malaysia Air is still flying. Is that true? Yeah. Okay, good for them. Good for them. Yeah. I actually felt like after that air- aircraft disappeared, I was like, why wouldn't you fly them now? They're cheap, and surely they're working three times as hard as any other airline to make sure their planes get from A to B. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, is, you'd that flawed? is that flawed? I mean, it works in most areas and cases, I think, but with aviation, the margins are so wafer thin that I think when you're MA, you know, in the wake of a, a disaster, you probably legitimately do have less crew and less, like, safety checks because you just can't afford to do it anymore. But I don't know. Don't know for sure. All I know is I love Concord and I want it to come back. Hell yeah. Where would and you it go? Really, it, it just it, it started the movie on such a great note for me. I was like, fuck yeah. Just before we get to talk about this god-awful movie again, three hours, the plane takes you wherever you want, where are you landing? You're asking me? Right now. Oh, so like where would I want to go? London, baby, from New Zealand. You because what does it take? Like eighteen hours or something in the it's air. Two, yeah, it's like two, well, yeah, it's about two, eleven, twelve-hour flights. Yeah, so definitely that because I feel like you could do it in what five, six hours. Amazing. Go and see my brother Dave. Yeah. Um, go visit. I've only been to London once ever, and it was when we did the live show there, and it was for what like three days, I think. We had a fucking good time. Yeah, an awesome time. Um, and that's, yeah, that would be my dream. Where would you want to go, Guy? Via the Concorde supersonic to. I want to go and land in New York. I want to go back to New York immediately, and I want it to take three hours. Yeah. If it takes three hours, you can, like, conceivably, the footprint is obviously, at, like, you know, it doesn't even bear consideration. This is all hypothetical. But imagine, like, going to, you know, New York for a day from Auckland, New Zealand. Mm. Rich people would do it. Rich people be, do do it, it I guess. Yeah. Rich people just do whatever the fuck they want. Why can't you know the? And why um, wouldn't you? You know. What's that? What's that? Uh, jet that the Americans have just sunk like their entire national economony into for about a decade. The uh, this, F- this is thirty-five. Tim shit. I got no idea, but I'm interested to hear it. They should. Well, they've. It, okay, I'll try and get to the wiki bit about how much it's cost, but um. I think it's the F-35. It just costs like a stupefying amount of money. They should refashion those and start putting people in them, <laughs> doing like um, chartered flights. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, while you research that, I might as well continue to highlight my um, problems with this movie. And I think mm-hmm. it all it all comes back to the same thing. Now, while we've been doing this Emmanuel season, the whole this time guy. I've been thinking I would sooner watch one bad movie over and over than like 40-something sort of uh, low-grade softcore pornography films. I feel like at least I understand what I'm getting out of that. And it might not be clear to anyone else, and that might sound like a, an odd formula, but that's how I feel. Um, this movie sort of proved that wrong because the idea of revisiting this movie like was painful to me, and I, I wanted to drill down into why. And I think where it went wrong for this film and where the Emmanuel movies that we've watched throughout the season have been better is that um, it's neither, the way it reads is it's neither comedy nor porn. 
You know, like some of those Emmanuel films, especially the Emmanuel Through Time ones and Emmanuel in Space, they're both. Mm. And this, uh, by being a, like an, a mature rated parody, which was totally devoid of, you know, laugh lines or like plot, it's just like, and it's also such a, it's such a light parody of Emmanuel. Like if you didn't know the source material was Emmanuel, it's, it's, that is purely used as the entry point for the film. Otherwise, like, what are you getting out of this being a parody of the Emmanuel franchise? I definitely think this is comedy. It's not a comedy I enjoy. It's not anything I would laugh at, for example. But it is it is the British sensibility of the 1970s. Or I would actually say like the 1950s, really. Because the weird thing about this movie, and I guess it's because it's carry-on at the end of the carry-on life cycle, but... All the cast are like 70 years old, which is a very confusing age bracket to put in for your porn parody. Well, yeah, I think I I feel like just from the limited research I've done, a lot of the legacy carry-on actors are in this movie. And there's a lot of like grief and consternation that this is how what was like a, a heralded and triumphant franchise you know, this is how this is how it ends. Not with a bang, can, can but with a fucking withering the, erection. Can you imagine the moral panic from Margaret Thatcher voters seeing their beloved Carry On franchise go to hell Sullied. in a handbasket with <sighs> one shot of bare female nipple? And it isn't Emmanuel's. It's I know the nurse. Yeah, a few um, there are a few derrieres on the loose, a mm. few butt shots. I. Uh, I mean, Emmanuel. So in this movie, Emmanuel, it's like it's. Oh, it's, before you get onto that, by the way, do you want to take a guess at how much the F thirty five has cost over its life in, in American dollars? Uh fifty billion dollars. Um, it's more than that. It's eight years behind schedule right now. Nice. Nothing like sinking more than fifty billion dollars into your airplane to be eight years behind schedule. A hundred billion dollars more. $200 billion? More. $400 billion? It involves a T word. Okay. $1.7 trillion US dollars. That's how much Fuck. it's cost, the American taxpayer. Does that mean we need to murder the American taxpayer? <laughs> what, to get the money off them? In keeping with our side hustle on the uh, Killionaire podcast. Oh, don't cross the streams. If you want to know what Guy's talking about, you can subscribe to our Patreon. But if not, we need to keep that off the free the, um, the free air. Uh, that is very funny to me. America, you had such a big head start. Get it together. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you keep fucking this up in front of everyone? Oh, sure. Anyone can cherry pick a country's $1.7 trillion military blowout for a cool right. jet. Yeah. It doesn't quite work yet. Otherwise, an unblemished history and track record. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to sort of brush over. Guy, the I wish you would. Plot of the movie. So Emmanuel is on a plane. She's uh, the wife of a French ambassador. We are currently like really heavily taking plot points from the first Emmanuel where she's visiting uh, an ambassador in Thailand, a UK ambassador to Thailand. Um but he's a French ambassador. He lives in France. And neither the actor who plays it, no, in England, in London. And neither the actor who plays Emmanuel or the man whose name is um, 
Kenneth Williams, who's like, he's one of the legacy carry-on actors. Uh, neither of them are French. And in of itself, so. audibly so. That's okay. But yeah, neither of them are French and neither of them have bothered to hear a French person speak. Um, they are doing accents in the same way that I or any low-grade improviser might perform a French accent in a scene where you are cast as French. And I think in the fleeting moment of a scene which is only going to exist in real time, in a live performance, that is just permissible. (laughs) But if you are carrying an entire movie built around two characters being French in the UK, that is a pretty big obstacle. Yeah, it's it's not perfect. I didn't think it was um, so terrible. But I'm loath to criticize anyone for something that I am very bad at. I mean, you you do, know what I mean? Do you, it's can hard. you do your you do a great French? Can you do your French? No, I can't do any Please. kind of a French. Oh my gosh. You sound like you're not from around these parts. Are you from I France? Even, I can't take the offer guy. I just can't. It's not gonna happen today. It's not gonna happen on this episode. It may happen at some point in the future, but it's not gonna happen for you today. <laughs> I love I'm so it. sorry to report. I the guy the ambassador's accent, Kenneth Williams. His, who was the French ambassador to the UK, his accent, his facial experience, his entire uh, ex- his facial experience, his facial expressions, his entire <laughs> no, 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 his facial experience, yeah, his facial experience, which in turn became my viewing experience, yes. was antagonistic towards me. <laughs> I do you was, know what I think this is? It's it's a, I think. It's not quite Uncanny Valley because it's not close enough, but I think this is like getting toward... It's it's like... I don't think this is a million miles away from stuff you would enjoy, but because it's been done badly, that makes you all the more angry about it. You know what I mean? I think you're right, and I think I... Do you know, the other thing is, and this is unreasonable because I knew just from like talking about this through the season and uh, and what I'd seen that this was a bad movie, but I wanted it to be good. Like the thing is, when you go into a movie and the first scene's okay, and you think, "Is this made for me?" You want that movie to be good so badly because, like, what if it is made for me? What if, because of the amount of work I've done, like the amount of leg work I've done watching porn to get to this point, mm. means that I actually do enjoy this, like in a transcendent way, beyond the fact that it was dismissed by the the public and by critics at the time, and I wanted that. Another factor, Tim, that is yeah. less to do with the movie and more to do with circumstance is that, like, today is, we are, we're, uh, for people listening in the future or even in the current time, we are in a lockdown and it has been like some really wild, confusing weather in Auckland. It's been raining a lot. The days can't make up their minds. Today is the first, like, bluebird, crystal clear, wonderful day that we have had in what feels like a long time. We get maybe one a week at the moment. And my entire emotional state is tethered to the weather currently. And I don't like that. It's just how it is. Like, I'm not in charge of how I feel. Yeah. The sky is. Yeah. <laughs> and today the sky is telling me to feel good. And I'm sitting in a room and this movie is telling me to hate myself. Um, and I'm so it, sorry, man. It's, it honest, sucks. Honestly, it's fine. But there's all but- these... Yeah. Also, I do find it incredibly funny. As well you should. Uh, it's just all of this stuff working together that maybe just like just 
Oh, I wanted to laugh, man. I will tell you my shining light because I do feel like I'm railroading this podcast by being so negative. Mm-hmm. And that was there's a scene where a lot of these 70 plus year old characters, Emmanuel like somehow encourages them. There's all the staff who work at the ambassadors. Um, residence. Residence. And they all wind up sitting around the kitchen in the residence and like, you know, the ambassador doesn't really deal with them. He's this asexual sort of impotent guy who's really into bodybuilding and Emmanuel's always trying to have sex with him and he's like, oh, don't get in the way of my bodybuilding. And so she goes off and she's she's having sex with these other people. And um, all the staff are kind of, they like to speculate about their boss and his weird proclivities. But eventually there's a scene where she encourages them all. They all sit around the kitchen. They reminisce on their sort of most interesting or unusual sexual experiences. And it's like, as far as comedic setups go, you've got a lot of potential there. And it's just <laughs> yeah. like, it's just a slow letdown. This, like, def- who, so in this room, I, from memory, there's four people who can share their stories of uh, Emmanuel's solicit for the most uh, unusual amorous encounter they have ever had. We've got a very old man of sort of a 90-year vintage, I would say, who can sort of not hear anyone, which is a recurring visual gag for the thing. Um, and and we've, Tim, it gets better every time. This guy can't hear a damn thing. We've got, do you know, on autoplay on YouTube after the Emmanuel carry on. Did thing you get finished, the documentary? Yeah, I did. And that guy saying in the first three minutes of it, the thing about carry on, don't be afraid to make the same joke again and again and again. Because <laughs> it's on that third one, then it'll bang through. <laughs> And I, I was like, yeah, okay. As a, as a comedian, I admire it. Like, I, I yeah. think commitment to the bit is one of the most um, noble. Like, I, it, it really shows what a knife edge that exists on because commitment to the bit when the bit is funny is like, and you're riding the wave of it, it's funny and not funny is commendable. But, co- like, and then this is what an open mic experience is yes. is commitment to the bit against like an overwhelming body of evidence that it's not a good bit. Comedy is so hard and complicated from that point of view. To like the difference between something being a sensational joke or just fucking nothing, just like either annoying or moderately offensive, yeah. is, is very razor thin. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it, it almost comes down to like something as unquantifiable as energy, like the yeah, energy yeah. coming off of the person and where that collides with the energy of the room. And in this instance, the energy coming off the actor meeting the energy that I was generating in the room made for <laughs> several bombs of the same joke. Yes. So who else is in the room? We've got the very old uh, war vet who can't hear anything. We've got this kind of matriarchal, I don't know what her role is in She's, the house. I feel like she runs the kitchen. Yeah, that we've feels We've got right. like a chauffeur and then we've yes. got like the- now No, hold on, because the chauffeur is a cool guy. Well, the chauffeur, he has my shining light. So his his sexual reminisce involved a line which was, it raised a smile from me and it was my genuine shining light. What was it? He's, so he's telling, they're all telling their stories about weird sexual trysts or whatever. And his one is he, he picked up a, um, a woman or a woman picked him up and they went back to her house. And um, I actually also, this is not my shining light, but weirdly like the mise-en-scene of the her bedroom that they'd set up for the the um, flashback. There's something about the layout of the bedroom. I was like, that feels really like specific. That feels really genuine to me. Time and place, like this. <laughs> this feels like Very historical. I'm, I'm in this woman's bedroom, and I admired that. Um, they love like I don't know, I don't know what to say. 
Something about like the style of carpeting that they had in there. There's something about mm. the, the carpet on the floor. I felt really British, really like I was there. Anyway, I they he's he's talking he's and he's reminiscing and he's got he's he's got his great. It's not Jason Statham, but no, it, you it might be it's that. it might be where Jason Statham learned to speak. He's been so, driving cabs for a long time. Yeah, yeah. He knows it, these streets. And he's, he's reminiscing about it and he talks about the whole experience and he, this woman takes him home and they undress quickly and that's, you know, voiceover overlaid with them very slowly and difficultly undressing themselves and one another. And then he says, and then the husband came home and the husband, come, this drunk husband comes home and he's hiding in this cupboard and the wife puts the husband to bed and then she reunites with him in the cupboard. And then he says, he's sort of talking about what happened and he says, the line that is my shining light is he says, the details are too pornographic, even for you lot. And I just think that is it's a great turn of phrase. I just like the sentence and I like yeah. his delivery of it. I like, you know, the details. Those old London cab drivers would be probably among the funnest type of characters to write dialogue for because they've got a quip for everything and they're delivered with these really cool accents. There's a tete-a-tete where he is driving Emmanuel around London and kind of lazily trying to hit on her. Yeah. Um, like at one point he says, come up the front, love will be less lonely. And she just doesn't respond. He goes, well, it's not compulsory. <laughs> and I just like, <laughs> I liked that kind of, he just kind of keeps lobbing it out there, but not being too worried about that it. That didn't get a laugh in the movie, but you doing it got a laugh. Also you, because you married it to the actual kind of person that is. And those yeah. people, if you're in the mood are hilarious and if you're not are like grating, and I actually feel like, and this is probably condescending, but I feel bad in my bones about people who are joking all the time when I don't find it funny. I'm like, oh, this is <laughs> this is your entire like again, man. I think it's because it's so close to you, but not quite. It's like if something was super different from you, you wouldn't care. It's that whole thing. The opposite of love is not hate. It's dispassion. It's just not caring. But yeah. something is getting so close to what you you are and you love and you value, but kind of fucking it up a little bit on that last hurdle. That that is what makes you incensed. I think I think you might be right, and this podcast has taken on a whole different timbre, you know, <laughs> with like because I am at such an unusual ebb, and like it's you know the the prism through which we're having this conversation or the prism through which we're discovering this about myself is so unique and like it's, <laughs> it's such a long build up to get to it but i really feel like you're under something uh and that terrifies me but who else is oh the butler's the only other person yeah, in the room telling his story they they all sit around and so i mean it, it, it's not even worth recounting the plot of this movie. Basically, the whole time, Emmanuel wants to have sex with her husband. Her husband wants to bodybuild. He doesn't want to deal with her. She goes up and sort of like embarrasses him and, and is, well, not deliberately. She's not, just like, like moderately, but yeah. he's not as perturbed as all these uptight, stuffy yeah. British people. She goes around good. seducing and having sex with anyone and she's sort of indiscriminate and doesn't care. And he doesn't care either. But who does care is the incel, um, Theodore yes. Valentine, the, the guy who? who she's, yeah. Can you – is he in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the uh, we'll OG do, one? I'll do some research for you. Oh, that's much appreciated. I felt like he was a newspaper man, like a journalist in uh, – Gene Hackman's Willy Wonka. Gene Hackman's Willy Wonka, which – and I can't, like I haven't seen that movie in a good long while, but there was just – I got like a, a pang of it when he came on. Um He's in the first, while well, guys looking this up, so Mr. Valentine, Theodore Valentine is in the first, he's on the Concorde flight 
and has an amorous encounter with Emmanuel and he's very flustered and doesn't really know how to cope with it and gets quite scared um, because this is that quintessential uptight British man who uh, is 34 years old and still living with mother and has a confusingly Freudian relationship with her. I I don't mean to disappoint, but it is my belief that... um, Not in it? Not in it, yeah. Gene, I said Gene Hackman. Oh, I meant uh, Gene Wilder. Wilder. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Gene Hackman is Willy Wonka. <laughs> Gene Hackman is a, fuck. Timothy, get the fuck out of here. I want to see Gene Hackman as Willy Wonka. Sort of grizzled chocolate veteran. Yeah, and I want um, Michael Bay to direct that movie. <laughs> I want the Golden Ticket kids to get fucked up. Yeah, I want I, them to get like missile striked. I'd love to see the unfollowable action sequences of Oompa Loompas like carrying out <laughs> Oompa Loompas, Violet like, Beauregard, like coming at her from all angles in these sort of confusing fucking Dutch tilted mid-air collisions. They've secretly constructed, they've been stealing scrap metal for years and constructing their own machine guns in the corners <laughs> and start a violent overthrow of the factory. <laughs> Willy Wonka's just trying to like keep everything together while he's under attack from his own employees and these can ticket I, winners keep fucking can I ask up his you, factory. What's the, when you think of Gene Hackman, what's the first movie you think of him in? Oh, there's one, I think it's, is he in Red October? It's like one of those sorts of, I can, you know, I can like see a VHS cover in my mind's eye with him on it. The main or, uh, thing is that I don't even know if I've seen a, a, a Gene Hackman movie, but like Line of Duty, is he in that? The the main I don't know, maybe the main one I think of is weirdly um the replacements. He's the coach of Keanu Reeves in this ragtag team of ne'er do wells and the replacements, huh? Um, um, I I might have made up uh, a movie called In the Line of Judy as no, well. No, that, that's a title that exists. Can I also but ask you, a, Tim, at a guess, yeah. how old is Gene Hackman today? 85. 91. Wow. And still going? He's alive, if that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I don't he's know if on he's the going, side of life. I don't know if he's, like, going. All right. right, let's. Now I've got to look up Gene Hackman's filmography to see... Um, what I know him from. Um, he's. Just, I feel like he's in all those war ones. He's always like yelling at a, a room of generals. And maybe he is a general. Maybe he's in charge of the generals. That does feel like the sort of shit Gene oh, Hackman will get up to. Enemy of the State. That was a big one. That Will Smith one. Which had a great tagline from memory. Um, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you or something like that. You see... That's great. I uh, butchered it, but it, it was good. <laughs> it's great, but also if you are paranoid, it's probably the last thing you need to read. Um, I just also want to say that uh, Will Smith, while you mention him, yes, read yes. a GQ interview with him recently. Which film do you think is his greatest regret? He's got one. He's got one project that he describes as a thorn in his side. Matrix. Oh, like doing or not doing? Doing, but also uh, the timing of that is right because. It's a combination of doing and the not doing, which that led to. Oh, so he he did something else while Matrix was happening. Yeah. Um, so that's ninety nine. Oh, Wild Wild West. Wicked Wicked Wild Wild West. <laughs> when I roll into the Wild Wild West. Hmm. You would have thought Wild Wild West, that, I remember you know, being fine. The legacy, the steampunk legacy that that iconic 
Western sci-fi comedy left in its trail would be enough to temper any regrets about not starring in The Matrix. We've got to get back to the movie. Okay? <laughs> we don't have to. Carry On Emmanuel features a character called Theodore Valentine who, through the movie, meets and then falls in love with Emmanuel and then plots to violently kidnap her at gunpoint so that she can move in with him and his mother into their flat, which is terrifying. And he goes through with this plan, brings the gun, um, takes her out. He disguises his voice as an Australian bodybuilder who Emmanuel is introduced to through the uh, fitness instructional tapes that her ambassador husband is, is watching. What was the what was his and name? And then gets again? introduced to him. I don't know. He was uh he I can't a, remember. He had a great name. It was um I like that he was Australian. I like I, that that was Britain's you know what? vision took, of Australia. I took great comfort in hearing an Australian accent in this movie. I was like, ah, here's a fucking guy I can get on board with <laughs> <laughs> Finally, someone to attach myself to, a bodybuilder. So um, yeah, he pretends that he is the bodybuilder, lures Emmanuel outside, then uh, puts a gun to her and gets her to go into the car. And um, Emmanuel's super chill about it, which I guess he'd have to be because if you actually acknowledge the horror of the situation, uh, this, this far and away stops being anything resembling pornographic or comedic. Harry was- Hernia. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that is a good name. See, they had some fun. It wasn't all dross. I don't know. Figuring out alliteration for a character title in a porn parody does not Putting feel like... onto a bodybuilder's name, it's comedy to me. Well, it's an approximation of comedy. It is, isn't it? You anyway, didn't, like, you didn't it, enjoy this. No, I didn't. No, you're absolutely right. But I, it, what it served as for me was like a anthropological... Arc, um, uh, um, artifact mm. that someone had uncovered. It was like a time capsule of the things that uh, very like broad British society was enjoying well, at this yeah. time. See, I think for me that makes sense, but for me that, there was too much this movie, it's too much carry on and not enough Emmanuel. I'm looking for respite. I'm looking for like... um. Something that ties together my experience of the year and the the season of the podcast, and instead mm. I just got served up like barely relevant end of the line nineteen late nineteen seventies British parody, and it just I, like it incensed yeah. me more than it satisfied me. I actually I haven't thought of it in these terms, but I think it's important we do explore this a little bit. This this. <laughs> We must have embarked on this. My sense of time and recent history is just out the door. I can't place anything in chronological order or tell you when anything happened. But COVID-19 has been around for about two years now, right? Yeah. So so we picked doing this Emmanuel season like after one of the first lockdowns in New Zealand? We reunited. And we said we'd watch some porn because we were trying to be like we wanted to we wanted to watch porn after midnight on a Friday. Yeah, so I guess we started out of lockdown and then went into lock. But it's just like there's something about the fact that I don't know this this 
the season has been so, <laughs> to my mind, patchy. <laughs> and, and they're all difficult, but this has been difficult in a unique, yes, exciting, brand it's, it's new way. Like, it's been, honestly, Tim, it's been an incredibly confusing <laughs> yeah. and, and exhausting <laughs> A confusing and exhausting through line in my yep. life for the last mm. however long. There was something about the other seasons where the format is you, we watch, we sit down and we watch and review the same movie, which is like utterly painful. But there is some sense of comfort that comes from the familiarity and meeting of expectations. Sto- yeah. Stockholm of course, syndrome. Because, this is yeah. yeah. This is like getting kidnapped by well, like. A it's, cousin of the same person every week. It's like being kidnapped by your twin, someone you share the exact genetic code of, because you're like, I know what's going to We were brought up the same way. We've got the same DNA. I know how this person's going to roll. These Emmanuel movies have us all discombobulated because we don't, we don't even know if there's porn coming up. We don't know if it's going to be, like, vaguely enjoyable, if there'll be a deft hand at the on the director's chair this time. And um, it's it's been this kind of tumultuous experience, which in some small way has sort of mirrored the experience of the last year and a half to two years. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, Tim, you know I'm a huge advocate for hiring an objective, professional, licensed professional to tell my problems to, so that when they tell me what they think, I know I'm getting it straight. That's where BetterHelp comes in. That's right. BetterHelp have a big pile of professionals to talk to at your convenience online. You've done a bit of therapy, right, Guy? I started doing therapy during uh there was a pandemic i don't know if you remember and the benefits were immediate and long lasting they help give you skills that you can use when you are in stressful or anxious situations honestly it's changed my life for the better i guess that's why they call it better help get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com slash all time today to get 10 percent off your first month that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash all time. Is of living with it's this pandemic. Like it is, yeah. And, and get- I wonder, would it have been um, in some ways easier for us or more like emotionally useful 
to have gone with same no, movie you once again you because can't. all these things are changing around us. But at least we know we have to watch X movie again, and this happens, and then this happens. It's it's hard to say because there's been no rhythm to our scheduling either because of the nature of the world and like also the life changes that have been rung in during this time. Like you know, literally across the span of this season. You have like create you and Zoe have created new life. Like mm. you know, it's not just that someone was born, it's that like the entire experience of creation has underscored like <laughs> that is very funny. That the whole pregnancy has been <laughs> undertaken while I do these weekly porn watches with Guy. Well, it's like it's that's not a that, funny marriage. Not that you don't things. get to watch. Not that you don't watch porn if you're if you're married and a parent, but like you know, there is this incredible dichotomy between the pursuit of this season of the podcast and then you know the the really beautiful and like truly celebratory and incredible you know moments and steps that you've taken in your personal life. It's just like it, it has been an incredibly disorienting experience. This entire season <laughs> has like I, I walk away from it and I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I think that's good. I think it's good to not always know what the lessons are, especially because it's not for us to know, I think. It's for each person listening to derive their own like, meaning you, and value like from the project. Re- Remy, and I know we've probably spoken about this already, but Remy can like how many children can listen even in passing, this is not, you know, this podcast has not been expressly about, you know, the journey of the pregnancy and birth and like, you know, the, the first months and years of Remy's life. But how many children can listen back to, you know, one of their parents discussing their experience of life in the world, spanning across the time in which they are being grown I think you're turning this into something it's not. This podcast is not a journal of our lives. This is us discussing bad pornography every week. It's not a journal, Tim, but it is a snapshot, and it's a time capsule. When you married this to COVID-19, you really made me realize that this is, we have put a marker down in the ground, that this is what we were doing while the world was gripped by a pandemic, the likes of which, with the modern technology that affords connectivity, we've never confronted before. Hmm. Well, you're right. You're right about that. I don't know what it means. I don't know Neither. if it's good or bad. And Time I'm not I'm not done. Even if we even if we don't watch another Emmanuel, Tim, I put it to you. There's another movie that is inside of the oeuvre of the Emmanuel season that we quite simply cannot miss before we put a bow on this thing. What? Well, it stars me, of course. Hello, George Lazenby, world's greatest listener, owner of an insatiable boner. I I hope you don't mind Guy and I organising this sort of impromptu pitch, not for a pornographic movie we want to make, so much as a non-pornographic movie that we think we should watch. Do go on. I would love to hear what it is. Well, you might know me best for my time on the Emmanuel series, sitting thigh to thigh with Sylvia Christel while we fondly reminisce on her sexual experiences. 
But what if I told you the world best knows me for my time as a certain character named James Bond? J. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Are you, George Lazenby, suggesting that me, Tim Bat, Guy Montgomery, and you sit down and watch On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the 1969 Bond movie, to, to cap off this season of pornography watching? It's precisely what I'm suggesting. I could think of no more sensible or fitting into the Emmanuel <laughs> George, season of the worst idea of all gonna time. I'm going to be honest, it makes me nervous to watch it with you. <laughs> I hope you don't stick around for our three-person conversation. We'll see how we go. I'd be disappointed if you don't. What an what? incredible opportunity. Easy for some people to say. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But I'm very into um, challenging my friends. <laughs> Even when I refuse to do a French accent for <laughs> even the briefest of moments. Um, at any rate, look, I think that's a wonderful idea. I think we should do it. Thank you. It's exciting. And um, I haven't watched that movie in, in decades. Well, I George, I'm embarrassed that. to say I haven't watched it ever. No time like the present. Yeah, true that. All right, well, we'll get that on the books. That'll be um, how we end it. If, if anyone does know how we can get our hands on Emmanuel Sex and Chocolate, though, um, feel free to get in touch. Worstideaofalltime.com has got all the sort of methods to contact us on there. Um, but otherwise, that, that one looks like a tough nut to crack. Otherwise, we will be ending this fantastic season uh, with On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The only way we know how. Australian underwear model turned one-time Bond, George Lazenby. Um, I believe we've just got one small piece of unfinished business in this episode, Guy. And I, I did see him skulking around outside <laughs> by a bush. Fuck. <laughs> I believe I saw the bone Boner inspector. inspector! <laughs> there he is. Bone He's inspector! So- He's too loud and he, he definitely shouldn't be that loud. Yes, well, you know, I like the way the shirt looks, and this is how I talk. Yes, very cool. Boner Inspector, hello. Hello. Um, We've just watched Carry On Emmanuel. I know, I heard. I wondered, given Mm. Carry On Emmanuel's categorization as a uh, parody rather than a porno, whether or not Mm. it would even be worth passing by, but then I thought, do you know what? couple of comedians, they might get boners in unusual places at unusual times. Maybe a good joke's what they need to send them over the edge. And Maybe. so I'm here with my clipboard in this loud Hawaiian shirt. No trousers. You can't see that. They're framed out. And I'm just wondering, did you get a boner today, Tim? Doesn't have to be about the movie. I'm so sorry to say that I haven't had a boner today, and I'll tell you what prevented it from happening specifically in this film, which is the fact that every person on screen, except admittedly the lead titular Emmanuel, um, was of pension age. Don't say it, lest you be ostracized by the ever-important podcasting listenership that is 70-plus. No one's embraced this exciting new medium with more vim and vigor than pensioners. And for you to cast them aside as sexually uninteresting or unarousing is, well, it's nothing short of rude. What do you think, Guy? Do you agree with the boner inspector? Uh, no. 
I mean, look, I'm not saying that they're not for some people, but it's it's just not to my taste. I yeah, like Tim. I didn't attain it. Honestly, the entire time I watched it, the boner was the least of my concerns. I just wanted to laugh. I almost wanted to tell him my yawns. Do you know anyone who's a yawn inspector who inspects people's yawns? Because, no, no, that's a totally different line of industry, and I, I frankly have no... No time or interest in people who inspect yawns. Anyone can see a yawn. People publicize their yawns in public. That's true. I respect to, there's something um, so disappointing because I think we've had a clean sweep potentially from both of us. I know we've there's been movies where we've gotten sort of... Yes, the there have been murmurs. I've got them but, written down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, we've got one more opportunity at plate. Um, which is on Her Majesty's Secret Service, those James Bond movies. The Lazenby Bond film. Yeah, they're very horny movies. Those Bonds are, yeah. I mean, you've got your your world-famous Bond girls. Mm -hmm. Who is the Bond girl in that movie? I can't remember off the top of my head. Do you happen to know, Boner Inspector? I think it was uh, (laughs) Diana Rigg. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sounds right. Yeah, if, if memory serves, she was an English actress of stage and screen. Do you happen to know who did the theme song? If you if if you've got a maybe a book or a piece of information with yeah, you, yeah, yeah, I'm a massive Lazenby head. I believe the theme song was uh, done. Did John by... Barry just do a cool. I feel like that had a slightly because usually they get pop, you know. Yeah, icons. it was John. It was John Barry. It was? Yeah, I yeah. just checked in Sick. my memory. Um, it's a good one from memory. It's a very good one. So Sick. I'm looking forward to seeing that well, credit I'm sequence for you at the guys. start. Yeah. I hope you maybe get a get... freaking boner. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll crack a big fat for the orchestral talent of John Barry's Bond Orchestra. Here's hoping. Okay. Well, we'll see you then. Time will tell. Goodbye, boner. Toodle pip. Good day. All right, guy. Well... Um, I guess we'll see you on the next episode, which will be the actual final one of, of this season. Exciting prospect. Sounds it's been it's been an honor um going through these Emmanuel films with you guy. I can't say it's always been uh not every moment has yeah. been fun. Well, I think but in totality it's been, I think, impo- above all important. Yeah. I, I believe and- as Chris Martin from Coldplay once said Nobody said it was easy. And then other lyrics. Um, thanks, Tim. Nice to talk to you. I'm really yeah. I'm gonna get out there and enjoy this day. Sounds good. Alright, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. 